pitch that we can get to meet you and, uh, and greet you. If you're watching online, thank you for tuning in. Um, I'll tell you what, Trent, I'm using his microphone, and he's got a small ear. So if this thing falls off, I think we'll just revert to that mic down there. Hang on. There we go. Yeah, I was looking at, honestly, I was like, man, for such a big guy, he's got such a small ear. Um, <laughs> uh, what we're going to talk about this morning is we're going to talk about the story of David and Goliath. And so if you will, open up your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we'll get there in just a minute. Uh, yeah, Trent and Mike uh, are out of town, and so they had asked me if I would, would speak for them. And uh, I was sick last week, so I didn't get to hear Trent uh, talk in his lesson, but I heard he did a great job. And I heard that he began a series called Grit. And, and so when I thought about that, I was like, okay, obviously he's not talking about what I eat every morning before I go and play golf with Larry, uh, my grits. So I'm thinking, okay, what is grit? And when I hear that, I think of like determination. I think of passion. I think about, you know, like the football player who's uh, struggling to, to make uh, the touchdown and, and he's given everything he's got and yet he's going to go one more yard. I think about the track star who says, I can't run anymore, but they still take one more lap. Um, that's the kind of thing that I see when I hear the word grit and determination. I think that's what God wants from us as his Christians is when we get tired and when we get weak, we have the faith that it takes to say, I'm going to give it one more day. I'm going to give it one more phone call. I'm going to give it whatever it will be um, because that's what God would want from us. And so we need to be people with grit, people with determination. And by the way, I think our culture could use some more Christians that have a little bit more grit. Amen? Um, and so I think this is an awesome series. And so Trent had asked me specifically to talk about grit that we see from the life of David. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And we're looking at the story of David and Goliath because I don't think that there is a story that better displays David's grit and determination than the story of David and Goliath. And so uh, read with me starting in verse 1 of chapter 17. And we'll get into this. And by the way, uh, I just want to say this also. Um, this is kind of one of those stories I think we look at and we say this is a, a kid's story, right? Um, let me hear from you for just a second. Throw out some other ones. What are some of those kid stories that we often think of? Samson? What was Jonah? Daniel and the lion's den? I mean, Noah and the ark? What else? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's so many of these things, and we say, okay, these are just kid stories. But what we have to understand is these were not written uh, for children, right? They were written at a specific time, for a specific, in, a, in a specific place, for a specific purpose, for a specific people. And the, people, it, the purpose and the people he was writing to wasn't for kids going to bed and just trying to give them a cool story. We're the ones who turned it into that, right? And so uh, as we read this and as we look at this, I hope that you don't read it through the eyes of think, thinking, oh, well, this is just a kid's story. I've heard this before uh, because I think God has got some things that he would want us as adults to learn as well. Um, and so let's get into it. First Samuel chapter 17 and verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and they assembled at, and we're going to skip to verse 2. There's a lot of names there. Saul, so, I look, I tried pronouncing that. Usually it's like, hey, you pronounce a name, you know, and you just say it confidently and real fast. I could not say that one. So we're moving on. Uh, verse 2. 
Saul and the Israelites, they've assembled and camped in the valley of Elah. And they drew their battle line to meet against the Philistines. And the Philistines occupied one hill, and the Israelites occupied the other hill, and the valleys in between them. And a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall, and he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That's about 125 pounds for just his armor. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves on his, uh, and a bronze javelin uh, was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. That's just over 15 pounds for just the spear point on his javelin. Uh, his shield bearer went ahead of him. Verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for a battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Then choose a man and have him come down to me. And if he's able to fight me and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overthrow him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And so what you've got going on is uh, the Israelites kind of occupy this mountain territory. And and down at the base of the the mountain is a bunch of valleys. And so the Philistines are out in the plains, which are out over here. And so the Philistines come in to attack. And so they have met now at one of the valleys. And the valley of Elah is now between them. And the Israelites are on one side of, of the valley. And the Philistines are on the other. And they're at, at what we would call a stalemate. You know, if you've ever played chess, you know, and you, and you come to this stalemate. And that's what's happened here is, is because no one can get to the other without having to descend down into the valley. And when you go down into the valley, you're, you're putting yourself in such a vulnerable position to be slaughtered by the enemy. Because they now have the high ground and it's like D-Day and you're trying to climb the hill towards them. And so both armies realize we're stuck. And so it's saving the massacre that would happen. The armies decide, and this happened a lot of times in history, they decide to send out their best warrior to fight on behalf of the army. And so the Philistines have sent down this giant, Goliath, wearing the 125. By the way, have you ever held like a 45-pound plate working out? I mean, good grief, those things are, are... Insanely heavy. I can't imagine 125 pounds and you're fighting and, and maneuvering in that. And, uh, and so they send down this huge giant and he's calling out and it says that the text says he's been there for 40 days and he's calling out. And he's saying, OK, hey, send somebody to come and fight me. Let's go. Winner takes all. And all of Israel, the entire army is scared and terrified and dismayed. Actually, the text says that when David, little David, the shepherd boy, and many of us know the story, when he showed up to to bring lunch to his uh, brothers on the line, it says that he heard and saw Goliath for the first time and heard him and heard him defying the armies of the living God. And and he heard him for the first time. And it says as he was listening to him, all the other Israelites got so scared and they saw him. He's been there for 40 days. They've seen him 40 times. They still ran and hid. And they're at the top of the hill. (laughs) 
and Goliath's in the valley. And st- that's how terrified everyone else was. And yet, as we know the story, David goes, has enough faith and enough courage to face the giant and to kill the giant with just a sling. And it's one of those awesome stories. Don't we love stuff like that? Uh, Avery said last night we were watching a football game and she was like, oh yeah, you know, Nathan always roots for the underdog. And I do. Uh, I, I love stories like that. And, and we all can gravitate towards uh, the underdog and that's kind of what it seems. So here's what I want to talk about this morning. Like David, we all have giants that we've got to face too. Okay, you've got your giants, I've got mine, and uh, let me just kind of describe to you the giants. Because if you want this lesson to mean anything to you, what I think is that we all have to have a picture of our giants in our life that we're facing. And, and so I hope that as I'm talking, you can think of something in your life uh, that you would classify as a giant. Here's what I think giants are. Firstly, I think giants are anything in your life at all that cause fear or worry or stress or anxiety in your life. Okay, and the giants in your life, the fear in your life is at war against your faith. And that's what's at battle. Okay, so the Goliath is our fear and David is our faith and they're at war against each other. And the, uh, the key to success against the giants is your, in your life is to say, is my faith going to overcome my fear or is my fear going to overcome my faith? So what are your giants? I think giants are many different things. I think they can be opportunities. See, I don't think giants are just negative things. I think they can be positive things too. It's anything that causes fear. And opportunities, job opportunities, evangelism opportunities, speaking opportunities, chances to do something big, those things come and and a lot of times they cause a lot of stress. They cause a lot of fear and a lot of worry. How many of you get scared of talking in front of big crowds and things like that? Okay, that's a positive thing when you do that, when you're able to talk in front of a bunch of people. But it still can be scary, can't it? And I would still classify that as a giant. Other giants, sins, temptations that you face, addictions that you battle, disease that has taken hold of someone that you love or taken hold of yourself. Relationship struggles, marriage problems, tests in school, uh, financial problems, job interviews, choosing what college you're going to go to, big decisions in your life. There's all sorts of giants that we face. And they cause this fear, worry, stress, and anxiety, and they're at war against our faith. Will our faith be strong enough to face our fear? And you may be sitting there and you're going, okay, Nathan, but I can't think of anything major in my life right now. Like my life is, I mean, yeah, I have some things that kind of cause stress, but I I, I wouldn't say I have any of those major things going on. And if that's you and you're sitting there, uh, I believe that there are what I call Goliath-sized giants, and there are pea-sized giants. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, Avery came home from Shreveport. By the way, um, she is doing an awesome job in graduate school. She's going to physical therapy school. It's all the way in Shreveport. And five days a week, she's staying in Shreveport uh, while I'm staying here. And so five days a week uh, for two years, we, we've been apart now. Um, and she comes home on the weekends and sometimes I can, you know, take a day or two and go up there and see her. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff that comes with that, right? Being apart from each other that long, there's a lot of stresses that come up. There's a lot of anxiety that happens too, and a lot of worries and fears. And I'll tell you what, she has hit this thing head on. She is fighting her giant and she's doing an awesome job. She had the most, I'm going to brag on her. She had the most difficult week at PT school this week with the hardest test that was given and had another test then too. And she aced both of them. 
did a great job. Yeah, yeah, good job. So she's really doing a great job. Um, <clears throat> I'm a proud husband, and uh, I'm excited as, as she continues on. She's got a, a few months left. Uh, she'll be out next summer and be able to come home, and then just one more year of working around here at different places, and then she'll be ready to graduate. So she's almost done. She's done a great job. But there was one particular weekend that she came home. And here's the, here's the deal. If you, if you come home and you have a bad weekend, uh, you've got five days until the next weekend to where you can have a better weekend. Does that make sense? And so uh, the weekend prior to this one was not the best. There was a lot of things that had happened that weekend. And we talked about it. We can't even remember what they were. Uh, but at the time, they were big. And we had gone out to eat supper uh, one evening. And, and this was Sunday night. So the next morning, she's going to have to drive back to Shreveport. And we pull into the, the house, into the carport. And it was a quiet ride home, and it had been kind of a quiet evening. And I just happened to look over as we were getting out of the car, and I saw that she was holding back tears. And I said, hey, what's going on? And she looked at me, and she said, nothing, I'm fine. And I could tell that she was, you know, holding them back. I said, hey, it's okay to cry. And she did. She just started crying. And so I just sit with her, you know, and, and she's next to me in the passenger seat and she's crying and I'm just kind of rubbing their back and I'm saying, hey, it's okay, it's okay. And we sit for a little while and finally after a few minutes, I, I ask her, I say, hey, what's going on? And she said, nothing, it's stupid. And I said, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's not stupid if it's making you, right, men, I'm, you, you feel me? It's not, if it makes you, if it brings you to that point, it's not stupid no matter what it is. No matter how small you think it is, it's a big thing. And said, so tell me, what, what is it? And she said, well, and, and she said, it was this and this and this. And she just started talking about all these little things that had happened that weekend. And none of them were huge. None of them were life-changing in and of themselves. But all of them together were pretty big. And so she said, is this and it was this and this. And she said, and then to top it all off, I ate my chicken spaghetti tonight and there were peas in it. And I hate peas. And I said, well, come on. And I took her out and I brought her inside and I sat her down at the kitchen table and I opened up the pantry and I took every can of peas that we had in our pantry. And I have this armful of peas and I walk outside and I throw them all in the dumpster. I come back in and shut the door and I walk in and I say, from now on, and I declared, we are a pea-free family. (laughs) And from that day forward, we've had not a single pea in our household. And I think there are pea-sized giants. And I think that's what we were facing that weekend. It was, it was all these little things that add up that are not, you wouldn't say, are a giant. But when you face it, man, it causes a lot of stress. It causes a lot of worry. And so no matter where you are and what you're going through, I think there are giants that we face, big or seemingly small. And so no matter the size of your giant, here's the key. Whether your giant is Goliath-sized or it's pea-sized, it's going to take a whole lot of grit. And it's going to take a whole lot of determination on your part in order to face that giant. And to overcome the fear and overcome the worry and stress and anxiety. And so, where does that come from? How can we get more grit? How can we get more determination? Where does that come from? Like, I can't go down to the store and say, hey, can I have five gallons of grit, please? You know, they'll hand me instant grits and think they've done their job, right? You can't, it's, it's not tangible. You can't feel, so how do you measure grit? How do you get more of it? Where does it come from? And so... That's what we're going to look at. Let's look at the story of David a little closer. Because I think his grit is best displayed and seen in a particular verse in this text. It's verse 48. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 48. 
This is when he's already decided that he's going to fight. He's the one that's going to go and take on Goliath to, to defeat the giant and take on the giant that no one else would. And here he goes. He's got his sling. He's got his stones. He's ready for war. In verse 48, it says this. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David, what? He ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. And I think this is incredible because David is running towards the very thing that scared him the most. He's running towards the giant that terrified everyone else. And so I think oftentimes, I know it's true in my mind, when I read this story, I just think, you know what, David just had that much courage and that much uh, bravery. This wasn't even scary to him. And he just kind of waltzes on down and he's just like, oh yeah, Goliath, you're no big deal because I've got God on my side. I don't think that's true. I think he was just as terrified as with of Goliath as the rest of them were. I don't think the solution for you to overcoming your giants in life is for me to stand up here and to tell you, well, you just shouldn't be scared of them. And so in this lesson, my, my goal is not to tell you to have no fear because I think that's ignorant because the giant's real and he's really big. And if we try to do it on our own, there's no way that we can make it through that. It is a scary thing. See, Goliath is just as big to David as he was to all the other people fighting the battle, wasn't he? And I think he was just as scary. So Goliath is just as big to David. I think the difference is not that Goliath is any smaller to David. I just think God was a little bit bigger to David than he was to all the other people. I think that's the difference. And I think that's the challenge for us. Is when we're facing our giants and you're facing those things that scare you the most and you're, you're up against something in your life that's terrifying. You're battling cancer in your family and you don't understand how it's going to work. And you're battling addiction in, in your, your household and you don't know how that's going to work. Or there's marriage struggles in, in, in your home and in your marriage when you thought there would never be. And how could this happen to us when you're facing those things that terrify you the most? I pray it's when we run the fastest and not in the opposite direction like everybody else but straight towards it to say it's time to get this thing taken care of. Uh, every lesson I've preached so far, somebody came down to talk to me after my last lesson and they said, you know that every single lesson that you've preached here at WFR, you've used an illustration of an animal. And I thought, you know what? It's true. I've talked about lions and eagles and, you know, uh, what was monkeys and all sorts of different things. And so we're going to keep the tradition going this morning. All right. I'm not going to let you down. Uh, I'm going to go back and I want to talk a little bit more about lions. That's, if you were here for my last lesson, I talked to you a lot about them. And one, th- one, of, the th- one of the things that I told you about was that the male lions, uh, they get to eat first every time. But the female lions are the ones who actually do the hunting. You remember that? Uh, and I told women to learn a lesson from that, by the way. Uh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Don't crucify me. Um, but I, I love the way the lions hunt. I think it's really interesting. And so there was one thing I left out. Male lions don't do any of the hunting, but they do help a little bit, albeit it's very small. Uh, they do help a little bit in the hunting process. What they'll do is if there's a pack of prey, if it's like gazelle or something out in this, this field, they'll sneak to the front of all of these their prey. And they'll let out one of those ferocious roars that can be heard up to five miles away. And what happens is all of the, the, the prey, where do they run? They, they run opposite. They go away from the roar. 
And so they take off running, and and what they don't know is they're running right towards the danger because that's where all of the female lions, the real hunters, the real danger is back behind them, waiting for them to take off running from the, the thing that scared them the most. And I think that's true with us, right? Sometimes when we take off running away from the things that scare us most, that's when we fall. In our pursuit to get away from something that scares us is when bad things happen and when those giants will get us. And I think having faith doesn't mean feeling no fear at all. I think having faith is being afraid but moving forward anyway and running towards the roar. Because that lion up front, he's by himself. He's more bark than bite. But back behind you is where the real danger is. I'm going to give you an example of a time. I hope this is making sense to you. Of a time, though, where I ran away, uh, almost ran away from a lion in my life. I was 18 years old, uh, just graduated high school, and I, I decided that I wanted to be a preacher. Uh, and so I went to Sunset School of Preaching. And it's all the way down in, in the Lubbock, Texas. How many of you know a sunset? Yeah, and uh, actually, Grant Williams is there right now. I haven't talked to him in a while. I hope he's doing well. I'm sure he is. I know he's doing a great job. Uh, but Lubbock, Texas. It's 11 hours away. That's a long way away. <clears throat> and so here I am. I've been there for about a year, and I've been dating a girl back here at home. And, uh, you know, every break week and stuff and every chance I get once a month about, I'd come home and I'd, you know, spend a weekend here and, and see my girlfriend back then and then drive back to school. And through the course of sunset, I, uh, I got engaged. I was young. I wasn't ready, but... You know, I was excited and thought that I was, and you couldn't tell me different. And uh, and so I, I proposed to this girl, and she said yes, and we were planning to get married. And so I was really excited. Everything seemed to be going well in my life. I'm, I'm you know, finishing up with school and uh, doing well there, and, and I've got my fiancé now back at home. And we had been engaged for about four months, and uh, I got a phone call one evening real late from her and uh, in Lubbock while I was there. And she said, listen, I, I, uh, I, uh, I'm talking to another guy. I like another, another guy. And she left me. And, and I was brokenhearted. And I had never felt pain like that before. That was the first real heartbreak that I'd ever experienced like that. Um, and I remember... I mean, it's one of those things where it's just that empty feeling in your stomach that doesn't go away, and it's just that misery. And here was my thought process immediately. i got to go home. I didn't know anybody there. I didn't have a bunch of people that had been there with me my whole life. They didn't understand what was going on. How am I supposed to focus on this intense two-year study and deal with this pain and emotion? And no family's here. There's no support here. I don't know what to do. And so I remember I called my dad. I picked up the phone, and I called my dad. It was probably 11 or 12 at night, and I said, Dad, and I just started weeping, and I'm crying and crying, and he couldn't understand me. He said, it's okay, what's going on, what's going on? And I could tell he was nervous. And all I got out was I said, she's gone, Dad. She left. And he said, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And I said, no, I'm coming home. I'm coming home, I can't do this anymore. I said, I'm done. I'm, I, I, can't, I can't stay. I can't keep going. And he said, no, you hang in there. And I heard some commotion in the background. I said, so I asked him, I said, what's going on? He said, your mom's packing her bag. She's coming. <laughs> yep. 
And so my mom and my sister jumped in the car together. She said, oh, you're not going without me. And so my sister jumped in the car, too. They drove all night long, 11 hours straight, showed up at my, up at my doorstep at 6 o'clock in the morning the next morning. And I got a knock on the door, and I opened up the door, and I'll never forget seeing my mom standing there. And I just fell into her arms, and I just cried on her shoulder, and she just held me right there at the door. And she didn't even have to say anything. She just said, I'm here and I love you. It's going to be okay. And we just held each other and and cried for a while. And then I hugged my sister and we cried for a while. And then they stayed with me for a week. Just encouraging me and helping me and showing me, hey, you can do this and you can get through this. If I would not have stayed there, if they would not have helped me to get that grit and determination to say, I'm going to keep going and I'm going to keep studying and I'm going to keep learning, I wouldn't be here right now. My whole life would be different if I had run from that giant. And I was scared. I didn't, I didn't want to deal with that, that feeling anymore, especially being alone up there. But because I did that, that, that giant became the biggest blessing in my entire life. And I am blessed with the most beautiful and perfect woman in the entire world. You know, I'm sorry, I love all you women too, but I'm, I'm, she's, there's something special about her. And I'm blessed to be a part of an awesome family and uh, an awesome church family and, and the youth minister here. And there's so many things in my life. And I look back and I think, I almost missed it all. Because I promise you my entire life would be different. And there's no way that I would have ended up being here had I not stayed. And, and so God's got a way of taking the very things that we're most scared of and using them to bless us the most. It may be that the thing that you're fighting and the thing that you're terrified of and you don't know how you're going to beat and you don't know how you're going to face it may be your biggest blessing waiting for you to say, okay, I'm going to come. I'm running right at you. It's pretty awesome how God works, isn't it? And I know that you've all got stories like that too uh, of things that you've done in your past and ways that God has helped you through something you didn't think that you were going to make it through and it becomes one of the biggest blessings in your life. And you can say, wow, what if I had run from that? How things would have been different. And so I I hope that encourages you a little bit. I hope that you go, okay, you know what? I am. I'm ready to face my giant. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to do this. But here's the question that I want to answer to you this morning. And it's, what does that look like for you to face your giant? How can you get that grit and that determination to keep going? Where does that thing come from? Where does that kind of passion that says, I'm not going to quit no matter how tired I am. Where do we get that? And I think the answer is very simple. This is it. It's one point. You focus on God. You you focus on Him. And I know that sounds really simple, but that's the answer. It is that simple. It's that you keep your focus on Him. And I think David is so focused on on uh, on his God instead of his giant before the fight begins that he's able to slay him and to take him down. Actually, in chapter 17, do you know that David mentions God nine times? And, and Goliath, he only mentions twice. That's a, four, a little over a four-to-one ratio where God, David's mindset is on his God rather than on his giant. Uh, also, David's focus on God is also seen when God isn't even mentioned in 1 Samuel 17, in the story of David and Goliath, no Israelite, King Saul, no one said the word God until David showed up. And the first, first two verses out of his mouth, he says, who's this? And he, he mentioned Goliath. He said, who's this Goliath dude that's defined the armies of the living God? 
You see, his focus is on his God, and I think that's why he's able to fight the giant. It's not that he wasn't afraid, it's that he had that much faith and that much focus on his God. If you, uh, if you face your God, your giants will fall. But if you face your giants, you will fall. And so the question is, how do we focus on God more than we do? How do we focus on God like David did? And I think there's three things really quickly that I'm going to talk about and then we're through. Firstly, I think in order to focus on God well in the face of the the giant that you're dealing with, you have to remember how God has helped you in the past. And David did that well. 1 Samuel 17, verses 32 through 34. He says, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Uh, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. I'll go fight him. Verse 33, Saul said, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. He's about 17 or 18 years old. You're only a boy. And he's been fighting since his youth. Some people, by the way, have tried to say, and I just completely disagree. There's been studies out there, and they try to talk down Goliath as if he wasn't as scary as he is. You know, he had some, probably had some kind of tumor in his brain that got over to this and caused him not to see well. And he, and I don't think that's the way we fight our giants is by saying they're not big. You want me to look at you this morning, those who are, are battling with cancer, it's somewhere in your family, maybe it's in your immediate family, maybe, maybe it's yourself. I struggle with it with my dad. I would have been offended if somebody came up to me and said, cancer is no big deal. Your giants are, are, are big. I think it's a disgrace to your faith and to your God if it's not a big giant. And, and so it says he's been fighting since his youth. By the way, earlier in the text, it calls him a champion. <laughs> the champion Goliath who's been fighting since he was a boy. Your, your giants are big. Your giants are scary. Don't listen to that. But David says, verse 34, David said to Saul, Your servant's been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion and a bear carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. Notice, this isn't the first time he's ever chased a giant. (laughs) You see, he does this constantly. He's a a giant chaser. He said, this isn't the first time. I, I went after it. I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by the hair and struck it. And killed it. Your servants killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. Notice the confidence that David has. This is a guy that's committed to the fight. He's ready. And this is a guy that's not allowing his fear to control his faith. He's letting his faith control his fear. And we need to be the same. And so he remembers how God has helped him in the past. Uh... Avery and I were talking about this earlier, and she loves this part. I think it is awesome, too, how Israel always built these altars, these, these just mountains of, of rocks throughout Scripture in the past. And uh, they, after the Israelites crossed the Jordan through dry ground because of the, the miracle God performed in Joshua chapter 4 and verse 6, God says this. He says, build an altar, build an altar there in the middle of the river. And so they piled all these rocks up in the middle of the river where they had walked through on dry ground. And God says, build that so that this may be a sign among you in the future. So that when your children ask you, hey, what's that over there? You can tell them the story. Isn't that cool? 
I love that. And so every time that you go over and you see that pile of rocks over there and your kids are like, what's that big old pile of rocks? And you say, I've got a story to tell you. And you tell them of how God worked a miracle in your life. And why? Why is that important? Because it's important for us to remember how God has helped us in the past so that we can trust that he's going to help me now. And there have been so many times in my life where I look back to that time in Lubbock. And there's other times in my life, too, that I don't have time to share right now where God has helped me in the past. And I think, you know what, if he got me through that moment of empty emptiness and that moment of sorrow and depression and loneliness, if he was able to get me through that, he can get me through this. If he was able to tear down that lion and to take down that bear, he can get me through this Goliath too. First Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12. This is just a few chapters earlier. I think it's pretty cool that David can walk by and see this one. Samuel built, an, it's called an Ebenezer. Say an Ebenezer. He built an Ebenezer to the Lord and said, Till now the Lord has helped us. In other words, if God got us to this point, he can get us anywhere. I love at Camp Chioka this past summer. Uh, we had the kids go out after they had had their uh, week of camp. And they, we had them build one of these. And they took a bunch of bricks and they piled them all up. And if you go out to camp now, there's just a big pile of bricks down by our campfire. But if you go, what in the world is that? One of our kids will be able to tell you. Oh, well, let me tell you the story of what happened that week. You see, we're remembering. And it's important to remember what God has done for us in the past. So number one, how do we focus on God? Think about the things he's done for you in the past. And so when you're facing your giant today, remember your giants of the past. Number two, you've got to encourage yourself in the Lord. I'm one of those guys, I get built up by uh, words of affirmation, you know. And, and, and so it, it's, it's big for me when people come up and talk to me and they're like, hey, that was cool. Oh, good job. And, and that's important to me. And so I think this is huge for me personally. Because David, as he's going through, actually, no, not a single person encouraged David. When he's ready to fight the, the giant. Not one person. And he's got an army of people that are there. He's got, probably has slingers in the army. People who use the sling just like he did. So people could have gone and given him tips and told him, hey, you can do this. Here, use my sling. It's really good. But nobody encouraged him. Even King Saul didn't encourage him. Actually, King Saul, remember, we just read it, told him, he said, there's no way you can do this. You're just a boy. And he's been fighting since he was young. They discouraged him. And so how does he stay motivated and how does he have that grit and determination to keep fighting his giants? And uh, I think it's because he found encouragement in the Lord. First Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6, it actually says, But David strengthened, and other versions say encouraged, himself in the Lord. So what does that look like? I think it looks like the Psalms. All the Psalms that he wrote, that's him and he's, he's, he's getting encouragement in the Lord and not trusting on other people to build him up. And I think that's what we have to do too because there are always going to be those people when you're facing your giants that say, that's too big, you can't do this. There's no way that you can make it through. By the way, there's even experts who will come out and will tell you there's no way that you can be healed from this. It's impossible. But we serve a God of the impossible, don't we? Yeah. A God who can do the seemingly impossible and perform a miracle that will change the faith of even the doctors. <laughs> And so when other people don't encourage you, and when other people won't build you up, you build yourself up in the Lord. Psalm 23 is one of those times where David builds himself up, and I love this passage. And I started to think about it in a different light because of this David and Goliath thing. Because it says, it's that, that passage that says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will... Do you wonder if that's the valley of Elah? 
I mean, he's walking through. I, I mean, I don't know. I could be completely wrong, but he's walking through the valley of death with the giant. I would think literally that's why they're at a standoff is because nobody wants to go down. They probably called it the valley of death. And he says, and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. What's he doing? He's encouraging himself in the Lord. And that's what we need to do. Uh, number three, lastly, how do you focus more on God? You use what God has already given you. Use what God has already given you. God's not going to perform a miracle with what you don't have. He's not going to help you fight the giant with some ability that you don't have. He's going to use what you do have. Let me explain that a little bit more. Um, when, let's see if I have it written down here. I don't. But in this text, Saul comes, actually it's, it's verse 38. It says, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. And King Saul put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over his tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to him. And so before he's going to fight, Saul's like, here, well, if you're going to go down, just at least wear my armor. And so he puts on Saul. By the way, Saul's a really big, big guy. He's a big old boy. And First uh, Samuel... Earlier in the, the, the book, it talks about Saul and it describes him as an impressive man who's a head taller than anyone else. And this little 17-year-old boy is trying to put on his armor. And uh, David says, okay, I, I, he said, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. And so he took them off and then he took his staff from his, uh, in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag with his sling in his hand. He used what he had. He used the sling he was used to. Now, when we read this, a lot of times we think, oh, okay, uh, he probably just went out there and used a little slingshot. But that's not how this was. This, this is no kid's toy. This is two leather cords that has like a little leather pouch in the middle. And you would take a rock, you would put it in that leather uh, pouch there, and you'd sling it around five or six times. And people who have studied this, there's actually a, a group of nerds who study slingers, um, and I'm sure they're awesome people, but that's really interesting. Uh, and so they go out and they tested all this and they, they, they decided that on average, a rock about the size that they believe David would have had from the Valley of Elah, from the river that runs down there, they believe that that rock on average can be slung from one of those slingshots at the same force as a 45 caliber handgun on average. And so this is no joke. I, how many of you ever shot a 45 handgun? That's the only pistol I've ever shot. Uh, Paul, you'll be proud. I have shot a gun. All right? It's a 45 caliber handgun, and the thing about blew my arm off. And I, and I didn't know what I was doing, and so I just walk out there, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to shoot this thing. So he's like, I, I told him, I said, is there any tricks? Is there any tips? He said, no, you just point it and shoot. So I just point it out there, and I go, boom, and my arm just goes, wham, and, and throws my shoulder. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And the thing kicks like, I, that's a powerful gun. And that's what David's got. And he's so used to it. He, you think that when he killed the lion and the bear with his sling earlier in his life, that that was the first time he used it? No. He's been using this for a long time. And he's prepared. In other words, they, God didn't just send David into the battle completely empty-handed. David is not as ill-equipped as you think. In medi medieval times, in their time that they would be fighting, they actually had, next to the archers, they had slingers. Because people were so good with that. If, 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 people, if slings weren't that powerful, don't you think they'd just give them a bow and arrow and say, here, use this? 
Why did they have a whole group of slingers? Because they're powerful. And so David's not just walking down as empty-handed as we think. He's got, an, he's got his offensive weapon with him, and he's used to it, and he's practiced with it, and it's something he uses all the time. Why am I telling you this? Because what is our armor? What is our weapon? Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 13 through 18 says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, when you're fighting your giant, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. You skip on down. All of the armor that God mentions is defensive. When Satan attacks you, you want to have your chest piece on to protect your heart. You want to make sure you protect yourself from evil. But at the end, he mentions the only offensive piece, and it's your sword. And it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And it continues, by the way. Look at it. I want you to read it from here so that you know I'm not making this up. Verse 17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and what? And pray. That's your offensive weapons. And pray in the Spirit on all kinds of occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep praying for all the saints. And pray for me always, he said. And so prayer is also your offensive weapon too. And so you want to slay your giants? You want to defeat the things that you're facing? You want to be able to have enough faith and enough grit to be able to fight that? I think it comes from reading and praying. And you hear that all the time. So I don't want to just say it and you just go, oh, okay, read and pray. They always say that we need to read our Bibles. I think it's life-changing. Actually, David has really been doing a lot of study in this lately. And he could share this a whole lot better than I could. But we're way out of time. Uh, but he, he's been doing a whole lot of study on how literally reading and meditation and praying changes your brain. Not just changes your heart and your, your, your thoughts. It changes your brain. It changes you physically. It's found that people who are not Christians study this stuff. Neurologists who study the brain found out that 15 minutes a day, if they spend that much time in meditation, those people are more uh, likely to be calm and collected when they're facing something difficult. They're, they're, they're more likely to have less anxiety. I I'm, not, I'm not making this stuff up. What have they found? They found that what God is saying when it says, hey, this word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, what they found is that's true and that it can actually change you. That's your weapon. Don't just use it when you face your Goliath. If that's the first time you fall on your knees is when you get to that giant, then I think you're going to fail. It wasn't the first time David had used that sling. He's been using it since he was a boy. So how do you defeat your giants? It's by focusing on God. Uh, there's a story that I heard that was really cool about a pilot. Uh, and he was flying in the midst of a storm. And he was a new pilot and he was terrified. And he was scared because he couldn't find his way. And so he radioed in and he said, I can't see anything. I have no idea where I'm at. I'm a newer pilot. I'm in trouble. And they said, well, can you see anything to help us locate where you're at so that we can guide you? He said, I can't see anything. And then he said, wait a second, I see something. And he looked over and he saw some lights out of his side window. He said, I see some lights over here on my left side window. He said, actually, they're in the shape of a cross. And one of the people that was uh, the radio operator said, hey, wait a second, I know what that is. That's the cross from that Christian camp down the road. And so through the light of the cross, they were literally able to guide him to safety. 
And I think the same thing is true with us. When we have our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, as Hebrews tells us, I think that's when we find success against the giants in our life. Look, my encouragement to you is not to tell you don't be afraid. Absolutely, you should be afraid. But even more so, I hope this gives you some grit and determination to say, I'm going to fight that thing. And I'm going to face my fear. And I'm going to run towards the roar. And I'm not going to run away. Because this giant may just be the biggest blessing in your life. If you have a need, won't you come? While together we stand and sing.